if you'd open up your notes to me to session three. Session three. So we have been talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the main theme of our weekend. Understanding God's forgiveness. And then that next step of us being willing to forgive others. And that's, that's daunting. The first step is, is, is understanding. Second step of actually taking the step and forgiving someone for that hurt, that pain that we have been thinking about and feeling, that, 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 that really is daunting. One of the things about life and about the Christian life especially One of the things is that God does things in such a way that really are miraculous. And they really are amazing. And the things that he does are for us. So if you look at that session three, that first verse, Isaiah 40, 31, this verse has been a favorite of mine for as long as I can remember reading verses. It was one of those first verses of of my Christian life And those first five words, those who hope in the Lord, that's where it's at. That is where we need to put our hope because those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The thing that is significant about that is that in the Christian life, we don't base our hope on anything circumstantial. We don't base our hope on anything that is uh, cultural. We don't base our hope on celebrities or sports figures. We don't base our hope on politicians, on whether we like them or not, on whether they do what we want or not. That's not where we base our hope. Our hope is based on God, on who God is, on what God does. And that's amazing. So what I want to do tonight, I want to give you five reasons, all out of the Romans chapter 8, five reasons why you never need to be hopeless. This is significant to me because in talking about forgiveness understanding God's forgiveness, being willing to forgive others, and, and, and why should I ever do that when we're stuck in that place where we're not being forgiving? There is a sense of hopelessness in that. We feel hopeless because we were hurt. And I don't know that I could ever get over that hurt. So there's that sense of, I feel hopeless with that. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit down. Maybe you're feeling a little bit discouraged. You need what God gives us in his word in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, it really is amazing. See, I think that you cannot look at what God has promised to do in you, for you, and with you, and not walk away from that with this thought of, wow, God really is amazing. He's not just something to feel good about. He's not just something to, to, to pump you up a little bit here and there, make you feel good. There is a reality at the core of understanding 
who God is and what he does. So in this chapter, Romans chapter 8, I believe it is the greatest chapter in the Bible about hope. It gives us so much that we can base our life on, that we could have hope in. And grasping these things, you will never have to be hopeless again. It is full of truth. I can have hope because I am forgiven. It starts right there. And that's where we've been at for this weekend. That's the first reason of hope. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. This may be the greatest reason for having hope. God forgives you for everything that you have ever done wrong when you confess your sin to him and accept his son Jesus Christ into your life. It, it, one of the realities that we have talked about this weekend is that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. We all have problems. We all do wrong things. We all have legitimate reasons to feel regret, to feel guilt, and maybe even to feel shame. That's how we can feel. The result of that is that most people in their lives live with a sense of self-condemnation. They're condemning themselves for where they've been, for what they've done. They live with this constant sense of guilt and shame and regret. This first thing of, I am forgiving, I am forgiven, is an amazing thing because both guilt and shame in, in, in their operation, in their function in our life, they are draining of your spiritual strength. They are wearing you down, making you weaker and weaker, taking you to the bottom. God doesn't want that for you. He says, come to me. Confess your sins to me. Accept my son Jesus Christ into your life. And if you do, there's no condemnation for you. Because in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans, the first verse in this chapter. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's because we are forgiven. No longer condemned, no longer having to pay the price for our sin because it was paid for us. Condemnation is removed. Now that, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, is an amazing statement of hope. You don't have to have condemnation. You don't need to self-condemn yourself if you have committed your life to Christ. So we need to work on getting that out of our life and living the way God wants us to live. See, most people live with this, this self-condemnation and they, 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 they are wearing themselves down with it. They're beating themselves up with it. And the end result is, if you live in a place where you are self-condemning, you, you often will have this sense of, of emptiness, this sense of frustration or misery. Because condemnation, the guilt and the shame that, that, that have led you there, they'll do that to you. And that's not a good place to live. This first thing about I am forgiven is an amazing thing because it overcomes the guilt and the shame. 
When Jesus died on the cross, when he took all of our sins on himself, and he said, it is finished. The guilt and the shame, it is finished. Salvation is finished. It is ready for you. If you accepted Jesus Christ, you are totally forgiven for all of your sins, and that applies to all of us. So, that's a great truth. We've talked about it for a couple of hours now. That's great. That is your pardon from sin. But you also need to know that you need more than a pardon from sin. You need to be freed from the power of sin. You need to be freed from the grip that that sin has on your life. In other words, how do I stop sinning? How do I stop doing this? So no, no condemnation means I'm forgiven. But I actually need power now to change. I need power to move forward. So the second reason for hope, I am set free. Everyone is a slave to something. Every one of you are a slave to something. Everyone is controlled by something. You're controlled by your circumstances. And you're always looking to your circumstances for hope. And there's no hope there. Maybe there is a little here, a little there, but you're controlled by that. You're controlled by your environment. You're controlled by your background. You're controlled by your past. You're controlled by the approval of others. You're controlled by our culture. You're controlled by the habits that you can't stop, you can't break free from. You're controlled by passions that you can't seem to get a handle on. Everyone is controlled by something. It's the question, why do I do things that I don't want to do? Why is it that I know the right thing to do, but I don't do it? Why is it that I know that's wrong, but I still go there? Something has control of your life. The Bible refers to that as the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. What that is, is it's, it's the spiritual gravity that holds you down and keeps you in place. It keeps you from experiencing freedom. It keeps you from being who God wants you to be because it has this grip on you. It holds dominion on you. It holds control on your life. So one of the things I hear from people is, I feel stuck. I, I just feel stuck and I don't know how to get unstuck. I feel stuck in a relationship. I feel stuck in a habit. I feel stuck because of the choices I've made. I feel stuck because of, the, because of my past. I, I'm just stuck. I can't get free of it. I keep going to the places that I know I shouldn't go. And I don't want to go there, but I find myself there again and again. I don't like this about myself, but I can't seem to change it. I'm stuck. And this is one of those things that I look at and I think, you're right. You're stuck. And you either can't change it or you won't. It's, it's, it's one of the two. 
what you need is you need more power than you have. You need power to get you unstuck. And that power is beyond your power. See, you weren't meant to live on your own power. On your own power, you don't really go anywhere. You're stuck. The way to break free is by letting God's spirit that comes along with God's power into your life. And he can get you unstuck. He can move you forward. Verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death has this grip on me, but it is the law of the spirit of life that sets me free. In other words, I have the power to break free from the things that control me. That power is in the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus Christ. I have the power to break free from guilt, to break free from resentment, free from bitterness, free from loneliness, free from habits, free from lying, free from deceiving, free from manipulating, free from all of the things that you are stuck in. Jesus Christ has the power to help you get unstuck. The Bible calls all of that being stuck in that mud, in that mire, the law of sin and death. It has this grip on you. Why do I do the bad things that I know I shouldn't do? And why don't I do the good things that I know I should do? It's the law of sin and death. That, that's what it does. With a law, the only way to overcome any law is to have a stronger power than what the existing law has. This law of sin and death has a grip on you. You need a stronger power to break free from that grip, stronger grip that can pull you out of it. For example, in physical terms, there is a law called the law of gravity. We live on a planet with physical gravity. That physical gravity holds you to the ground, keeps you from floating off into the space. It's a powerful law. The law of gravity. It basically, the law of gravity, it says that if there's anything that is heavier than air, it's going to fall. Gravity's going to pull it down and hold it down. So, if that's really true, how does a plane get off of the ground? How can something that weighs tons break free from gravity? And it, it very simply is stated that it, it, it's the law of aerodynamics. The law of aerodynamics says that if you take an object and you can propel it fast enough and tilt its angle of, of approach, then it can pull itself off of gravity and fly. It's a rather amazing thing. Spiritually speaking, sin and darkness is pulling you down. 
It's holding you down. But God's power in you overcomes this law of sin and death. It's God's power in you that breaks the grip. It breaks the gravity of sin in your life. Sin has gravity on you. God's power can break you free from that. When it does, you experience freedom. You are set free to experience life. Before that, you are stuck. I am, set, I, am, I am forgiven. I am set free. Third reason I can have hope is that I can trust God with my life. Okay, I am forgiven. I'm set free. I still experience what I call bad things. Bad things happen to good people. Romans, you get down to Romans chapter, uh, you get Romans down, down to verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. A lot of people struggle with what goes on in their life. And they want to know, why, why are these bad things happening? Why is that bad thing happening to that good person over there? They don't deserve for that to happen. Yet, we live on a broken planet with broken people. God is going to take whatever happens if I put my trust in him, and he is going to turn that around for good in my life. Once I place my life in Christ's hands, I can trust him. He promises to take whatever happens and turn it around for good. So a couple of things about this verse. This verse doesn't say all things are good. They're not. This verse doesn't say all things work out the way I want them to work out. It doesn't say that either. What does this verse mean? It means that God brings good out of bad. God does not leave you in a place of experiencing the bad things of life. He brings you out of that. God is bigger than your problems. God is bigger than your sin. God is bigger than your mess-ups. What God does, and one way to look at this, is that God is building in us a life that is beautiful. It's like a tapestry. If you look at tapestry, it is a work of art. We are God's workmanship. We are God's work, works of art. But it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look pretty and look good. You know, sometimes it looks very unfinished. If you look at the backside of a tapestry, if you take a, a tapestry and flip it over, it's a mess. Man, strings are hanging here. They're, they're going there. Colors are everywhere. It is chaos. It's a mess. But God is weaving that tapestry of your life into good. Even though it doesn't look that good to you right now. He is creating a beautiful tapestry. It may not seem like it right now because you're in the midst of the struggle. You're in the midst of, of the heartache and the pain. But God promises to do this for you. He promises to take whatever goes on in your life 
and turn it into good. You become a beautiful tapestry, but you have to stay on the weaving board. You have to stay with God and let God do the work in your life. And you can trust God with everything of your life. You can trust him because he's going to take everything that has happened and take it and weave it into good. But you have to stay in the game with him. If you step out of the game, walk away from God, then then your tapestry is unfinished. And your tapestry will forever be chaotic. You need to stay with God, trust God, put your hope in God. Because he promises he will take all of this and create good for you, good with you. Fourth reason to have hope, right out of Romans 8. The reason is I don't have to fear anything. We have hope because as people who trust God, we don't have to be afraid of anything. We don't have to live in fear. Verse 31 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I love that it says, if God is for us. I love the fact, the reality that God is not just with me. I mean, that's awesome. But he's not just with me. He's for me. He's taken all of the things that have happened in my life, and he's weaving something good out of that. He is for those who accept his son into their life, those who put their trust in him. I don't have to fear anything because God is for me. He's with me, and he is for me. This idea of fear, I don't think anybody is is excluded from some fear. It's a universal problem. Psychologists have identified over hundreds of fears. And fears can be a very stressful situation. Sometimes they might seem like something's, something small, but they still get a grip on us and cause us different aspects of, of, of concern or of anxiety. It, it's universal. The way I see fears is that Fear is stalking you. Fear is nipping at your heels. Fear is after you. Fear is hiding around the corners. It's there, and it's, it, it's trying to get a bite so it can pull you down. I read a story about a woman who lives in Florida, and she has this fear of being bitten by an alligator. You know, at first thought, I think, if I lived in Florida, I'd have a fear of being bit by an alligator. I wouldn't go swimming anywhere. It's like, why would you want to live in that situation? But you do some research, the odds of getting bitten by an alligator are so small. The odds of getting struck by lightning are greater in Florida, which has a whole lot of storms. But the, 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 the average, the, the just 
the odds of getting struck by lightning are far greater than getting bitten by an alligator. And yet, she has this fear. And it, it, it keeps her from almost enjoying anything of life because that's her fear. It just makes me think about how strong fear can be, even when it's not rational. Even when the odds of that happening are pretty slim. But what that makes me realize is that everyone has fears biting at them, lurking in the dark. So, what's your fear? What's the gator in your life that's biting at you, grabbing at you, trying to pull you under? Maybe you feel like it, like uh, I'm going under for the last time. It's taking me down. Because fear has a tendency to do that. Fear has a tendency to, to get exaggerated in our life. And the more we, we sort of give into it and think about it, the more control it has in that moment. It, it feels like it is just right here. That's a dreadful feeling. Whatever your fear is, it is dreadful. So what is the gator in your life? Is it a financial gator that you're living in fear about? Is it a situational gator that you just, is just creeping up on you? Is it a relational gator and you don't know what to do with it? What is it? What is the gator in your life? Because everyone has gators in their life. What's yours? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? The answer, no one. No one. I have hope because I don't have to fear anything. I have hope because God is for me. Fifth reason for hope in Romans chapter 8 is I will always, and you got to understand this, I will always be loved. God will never stop loving me. I will always be loved. Nothing can destroy my relationship with God and his love for me. If you grasp this fact, it will change your life forever. For a lot of people, they don't ever really grasp this fact that God will never stop loving me. There is tremendous hope and strength that comes into your life when you understand that you are unconditionally loved. That's how you are with God. You are unconditionally loved by Him. And that, that desire is what pulls us into relationships. We are looking for unconditional love with the opposite sex. We want that unconditional love from someone, and God is offering us unconditional love, unbreakable love, unchangeable love. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor a life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced. You need to be convinced. You need to be able to make this statement that I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. I will always be loved. Nothing can ever stop that. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing will ever stop God from loving me. Nothing is powerful enough to do that. God is all-powerful, and God wants us to experience His love and to live in His love. And when we do, everything about life is different. And the one thing we seem to want to value the most is a relationship. And yet, the one relationship that we should value the most is our relationship with God. And He can make these other relationships good. But without Him, they're just mediocre. We struggle. I will always be loved. This, to me, is a message of hope. Those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. We all need hope. We all struggle with hope. We all need to discover the reality of the Christian life, which is a reality of hope. And we all need to live a life that is full of hope. That verse, Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And then there's a list of things that, 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 that just turn in me to make, they make me excited. They will soar on wings like eagles. That is an amazing thought. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Because of what Jesus Christ did for me, and because of my acceptance of him in my life, because of my confession of sin, I am forgiven. Totally, completely, freely, everything about it. I have hope. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have hope because I am forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. I am set free. I can trust God with my life. I don't have to fear anything. I will always be loved. You should take these things and meditate on them. Think about them. Read through Romans chapter 8 and ponder what is being said and how it applies to your life. Maybe look at it from a place of, I haven't really been grasping the reality of the forgiveness of God. How am I going to do that? I've been stuck. How could I be set free? And, and Romans chapter 8 tells you. I've really questioned the things of my life and how they could work out to be something good. And yet God promises he'll take all of those things and turn them into good. I have these fears and, and I'm even embarrassed to tell people what my real fears are because they, 
they would probably laugh at me. But a fear is a fear. No matter how big or how small it is, it comes biting at your heels. And that's scary. Where are you with that? What are you going to do with it? Don't leave it where it's at. Take it. Apply it to your life. Bring it in. And remember that I will always be loved. There's nothing that could separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing. And there's a beautiful description that pretty much covers, I, I, I think it covers everything that could happen. And none of that can separate me from God. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I could be encouraged. Therefore, I'm telling you, take these things, apply them into your life, figure out how, how they are real and what adjustments you need to make in your life to live out that reality. That's my encouragement for you. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that in your designing of us and in your designing of life, it, it's just amazing how you have done that, how you and your grand wisdom have thought through every aspect, everything about life. And you guide us forward. I pray that we would be true followers of you, followers of your Son, filled with your Holy Spirit, living the life that you have designed for us and experiencing all of this life with you. I pray that we would fully put our trust in you. And I pray that because your Son made it possible and makes it possible. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for all of these things to be real in us. For us to not just leave them on the page, but to bring them into our hearts, into our minds, into our reality. I pray that in his name. Amen.